2: Welcome to the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm your host, Dave Hellman, and I can just feel the haters punching the air on this Monday morning. You heard there was this undercurrent of dismay with the week 10 slate in the NFL. Oh, there's there's only a couple of games between teams with winning records. Oh, this is it's a bad game. It's a bad slate of games. Raiders jets on Sunday night football. Oh, this is terrible. A lot of so-called duds that we have to suffer through. And all I have to say to that is, are you not entertained? Haven't we learned that the NFL has been painstakingly designed to be decided by coin flips as often as possible. It's the most parody driven league. The most even unpredictable sport we have in my opinion It's why it's so entertaining. It's why it regularly delivers the goods. Lo and behold, we have 12 games on this week 10 Sunday. Nine of them were decided by one possession. Nine games come down to the final seconds to the last possession of the game. And of course, it's a day like that that we see NFL history. Five different games decided by walk-off field goals. And they came in all sorts of shapes and varieties. Let's walk through it before we dive into the show. The Houston Texans win 30 to 27 over the Cincinnati Bengals. Thanks to a game winner from Matt Amendola. Remember not even the Texans regular kicker. Kenny Fairbairn is out injured. So the backup kicker gets it done after another heroic day from CJ Stroud. Don't worry. We got plenty more to say about Mr. Stroud and the red hot Houston Texans. Right here in Los Angeles, the Lions' Riley Patterson drills a 41-yard field goal as time expires, bumps the Detroit Lions up to 7-2 and two coming out of their bye week, thanks to some bold decision-making from head coach Dan Campbell. Again, teasers everywhere. We will get to Dan Campbell later in the show. Just a clinic in aggressive coaching from the Lions' head man. Up in Seattle... Jason Myers hits a 43-yarder as time expires to lift the Seahawks over uh, over the Washington Commanders. Myers goes 5 of 5 on the day, 2 for 2 on extra points. I am just I'm so deliciously positive. He swung your fantasy league, your your friends fantasy league. A huge day from Jason Myers as the Seahawks get to 6 and 3 over in Arizona. Matt Prater finishes off the Atlanta Falcons on the last play of the game after a vintage Kyler Murray final drive. We'll have more to say on Kyler as well, looking like he never got hurt on the final possession of the game. Finally, Baltimore, early in the day, Dustin Hopkins gets redemption for a missed extra point. Looked like he may have cost the Browns the game. No, no, no. He drills a 40-yarder as time expires and the Browns top the Ravens 33-31. What, what a day in the NFL, but that's, that's where I want to start the Sunday six for this week. That was billed that the haters were wrong. Clearly what a, what a great day of games in the NFL, but Baltimore Cleveland was billed as one of the must see games of the weekend, a game between two teams in the AFC North with winning records, totally delivered on the, on the pregame matchups Joined now by our guys, Kenny Albert and Jonathan Vilma, who had the call in Baltimore. And guys, look, we thought this would be a really defensive game. Not quite the case. We've known about the Browns defense all season long. But I've been waiting for a performance like this from Cleveland's offense. 374 yards, 27 points to help beat the Ravens. Is is this what the full potential of this Browns team looks like? Well, Dave, we had a, the top two defenses in the league. Not sure we expected 64 points in this
3: game, but uh, what'd you like about what you saw from the Cleveland Browns today?
4: Uh, I really like their grit. I like their resiliency. I, I like that they didn't fold on the road uh, against one of the better teams in the NFL. So, to answer your question about is this their full potential? I think that they still have room to grow they still have areas of the offense where they could be more crisp uh, frankly take care of the football first and foremost and then be more explosive in the run game I think that they can really do that and if they handle their business in the run game and let Deshaun Watson eat away at a defense the way he did today that's when they'll reach their full potential.
2: Three of the four teams in the AFC North win or well, excuse me the Browns get a win over the Ravens to catch up to them in the division standings the Steelers get a win. It, it, I mean wh- where do you see this division race going down the stretch it looks like it's going to be one of the most entertaining in the league
4: yeah It wouldn't be a surprise to me, Kenny, if I saw three of the four teams make the playoffs. And the only reason I'm not saying four out of four is because they all have to play each other at some point, and some may knock each other off. But uh, I can see three of the four, I don't know which three of the four, now that I watch the Browns against the Ravens, they're an equal matchup, right? When you look at them, defenses are great, quarterbacks are great, running game is great. Uh, And then you go Pittsburgh, it's pretty much the same thing for them as well. So I I don't know where they go, but I expect that they're all going to be in the hunt when it comes time for the plus
3: had a big one coming up right back here in baltimore four and a half days from now right thursday night ravens and the Bengals.
2: hopefully that one is every bit as entertaining as this one was guys i appreciate the time so much thank you thanks dave it's a really great point from jv that maybe full potential wasn't my best choice of words considering there's still plenty the browns can clean up Coming in a game where they scored 33 points and came from behind to win, it's impressive to say that there were plenty of miscues that they could improve upon. Deshaun Watson, third play of the game is a pick six to Kyle Hamilton. Browns were in a 14-0 hole before they could even blink. Honestly, admit it. You're like me. You were making jokes about how the Ravens were going to make light work of another opponent in the first and second quarter right there off the bat, and the Browns just continue to claw back. They also muffed a punt deep in their own territory late in this game that led the way for Baltimore to take a 31 17 to start the fourth quarter. So yes, there is plenty more they can do. It can clearly get a lot better, but man, it's gotta be encouraging. If you're a Browns fan to see, in my opinion, the Browns offense do its part, maybe the best that it has all year. They've obviously won plenty of games. That's not my point, but to crack the 30-point margin, and yes, they did have a pick six, but to crack 30 points, 370 yards against what is what has inarguably been the best defense in football, it's just a different level than what we've seen from the Browns. A lot of that because Deshaun Watson has been unavailable. But even when Deshaun Watson's been in, it really it hasn't always been pretty. It wasn't perfect today, but it's encouraging to see they can have a balanced offense, they can have success on the ground, they can have success through the air. And again, against most teams they play, this defense is going to be good enough to keep them from having to keep up and, and keep pace in a track meet. If they can get performances like this, even every now and then, the Browns are more of a threat than we're giving them credit for. I think we've said plenty about how the entire AFC North would have been in the playoffs last week. The Browns are 6-3, and three, we know that. But if their offense can just keep coming along, if they can keep having better days than not from Deshaun Watson, and this wasn't even that great of a day, but I guess that's the point. If you can average five yards a carry and Deshaun Watson can cut out the pick six, this is a formula that is going to win you a lot of football games. This defense is special. I know it's an ironic day to say that because Baltimore scored 31 points in this game, but no, no, this defense is still plenty special. It's capable of carrying you a long way. Look at what they did. I mean, 31 points, cool, great story. They sacked Lamar Jackson three times. They picked him off twice. Lamar Jackson, who we on this show named him midseason MVP, he only had three interceptions coming into this game all year. He throws two against the Browns. Yes, there were t- a few too many explosive plays for your liking from Cleveland 39 yard run, 40 yard touchdown by Odell Beckham Jr. By and large, though, 300 yards of offense for Baltimore. Ravens had a terrible day on third down. Browns, three sacks, two picks. They block a field goal. Miles Garrett, officially up to double-digit sacks for the sixth time in seven seasons. This defense, right there where you want it to be, not always going to hold teams with no points like they did last week against Arizona. They are going to help you stay in a lot of games. Remember, a couple weeks ago, defense did its part Against Seattle, and the bottom eventually just dropped out because they weren't moving the ball well enough. Still not an amazing day from the Browns offense, but it's a step in the right direction. And if they can keep meeting them halfway, this is a team that could win the division, win the toughest division in the NFL. I don't think we have talked about the Browns as a legitimate threat often because their offense hasn't looked viable for a lot of the season. But if Deshaun Watson can stay healthy, if they can continue trying to stay out of their own way. They didn't even do that good of a job of it today. But if they can keep that up, it is a legitimate storyline to watch. Now, all the credit to the Browns. I want to, I don't wanna, I don't want this to sound like a backhanded compliment. They give, they get credit for perseverance. JV said it, grittiness, very gritty win, six and three, all that cool stuff. I do want to look at the other side of this very quickly, which is the Ravens struggles in the fourth quarter of games, particularly games that they're leading. Loved this stat from my buddy, Benjamin Solak of the ringer tweeted it out on Sunday afternoon. The Ravens have lost seven games in the last two regular seasons with Lamar Jackson starting. They had at least a 75% win probability in the fourth quarter of those games, in five of the seven losses, they had a 90% chance to win the game in the fourth quarter. I said it earlier, they were up 31-17 with 11 and a half minutes to play in this game. Gus Edwards scores after a muff point, 14-point lead, best defense in football, MVP candidate quarterback. How does this stuff happen? All three of the losses really had a late lead against Indianapolis, starting Gardner Minshew, by the way it'll ne- i'll never get over how they managed to lose to Pittsburgh. Just completely dominating that game, seven drop passes, drop touchdowns out the wazoo. Pittsburgh smashes and grabs at the end. And now there's there's 7 and 3 when they you have a case. They could be 10 and 0. It, it's not hard to imagine a world where they're 10 and 0 or at the very least 9 and 1. And it's it's not to panic. The Ravens are still on top of the division. They still have all these wonderful things going for them. But it 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 becomes it becomes a trend and a troubling trend when you consider games like this happen in the postseason. We know the Ravens have had their struggles in the postseason. It's just it's something that weighs on my mind. They have had a bunch of very very impressive dominant wins. They're only three and three in one-score games. Just something something to monitor, not going to panic although sure. Not something to panic about right now, but it's funny how those narratives change in a hurry and this is a case just like that. Ravens and Bengals, two of the hottest teams in football, now suddenly both of them coming off of losses and they play on Thursday night. So, I think both teams probably feel like they're fine. They're still above 500. They're right where they want to be, but Drop that second one in a row to a division rival on a short week, and suddenly it's not all so good. So we'll see which one of those teams bounces back the best, and we will not have to wait very long. Moving along to the next item in our Sunday 6 for Week 10, and I I think we just need to make permanent room in the Sunday 6 for C.J. Stroud. It seems like every week there's a new accomplishment, a new highlight, and he delivered the goods once again on Sunday as if, as if beating the Buccaneers in the last seconds last week wasn't good enough, he goes on the road and outduels Joe Burrow. Obviously, the Rookie of the Year season continues, one of the best stories in the NFL. And who better to help us go over it than our own AFC South rider, Ben Arthur. And ben, I told you, just like, just like with CJ Stroud, we're going to have him here every week, and we're just going to bring you on to go over it because this guy is the most amazing story in the league in, for, for my money.
1: Yeah, no, no, he is. It's quite incredible what he's doing, as you said, out dueling Joe Burrow in his house, uh, packed crowd. Uh, yeah, he he's he continues to deliver the, the goods. And I think one of the most impressive things about it was like the, the Texans have this comfortable 10 point lead, three minutes left. And then C.J. Stroud makes a rare mistake, turns it over, throws an interception. Uh, And and then just his composure, right, to to be able to overcome that, uh, to refocus, showing that calm poise and and being able to to drive the Texans into uh, field goal range uh, for the game winning kick. Uh, I think that says a a lot about him. Right. And this is the second straight week. He's done this uh, 2 back to back game winning drives. Game is on the line. Uh, doesn't get like he's centered in the moment, able to deliver when he needs to. Uh, this is he, yeah, he, he's spectacular. I'm kind of running out of words to use to describe him now because he's just, he's just a great player. He's a superstar talent. So I don't want to put you on the
2: spot. You're my guest on the show. I don't want to be rude. I'm going to put myself on the spot. You tell me if it's too much. CJ Stroud is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL right now. Is that, am I premature? Am I crazy?
1: You're, you're 100% correct. I am not, that, that, I, I think we should all be in agreement uh, on that at this point. I, I think even last week when you had me on, Dave, I, I, I think I said that CJ is kind of like in that top 10 argument. And yeah, I, I think he, after a perform, another spectacular performance, He's firmly in there. I've even seen some chatter that he should be in the MVP conversation. I mean, that's how good he's been, uh, how how much he's delivered. And so uh, I don't think you're wrong at all, Dave. So that's a.
2: I saw that as well, but I saw the mm-hmm. MVP chatter. It feels a little bit early and let's, I mean, let's be, let's just be real about it just because MVP is a wins award. You know, you, the, the guy that wins MVP is typically the one seed in the playoffs or, or the two seed, you know, you're talking about a team that typically the MVP comes from a team that wins 12, 13 games. But here we are, Houston gets this incredible win against the playoff contender against Joe Burrow. The Jaguars get knocked down a peg by the San Francisco 49ers. Remember, you and I talked about this last week. Houston already has beaten Jacksonville. So mm-hmm. it's not out of the realm of possibility that Houston still wins the AFC South. And maybe this isn't as crazy a conversation
1: as it sounds. It, it really isn't, Dave. And and with the Jags losing in really horrible fashion uh, to the 49ers and then the Texans beating uh, Cincinnati, I mean, Jacksonville only has a one game lead right now and, and they face off again in, uh, what week 12, uh, in, in Houston, right. When, when they blew out the Jags, it was in Jacksonville. So, so now they're going to get them at home in Houston in front of their home crowd at energy stadium the, and beyond that game, the Texans have by far the more favorable schedule uh, Than the Jags for the Jags, this game against the Niners today that, that they lost, it was, it was just kind of the start of the gauntlet for them. And so uh, you look at the way the Texans are playing, you look at the way the Jags are playing, you look at this looming uh, meeting uh, two weeks from now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the Texan stock is certainly up. You mentioned MVP conversation in terms of having to be on, uh, you know, a top seed, To be seriously be in that uh, uh, discussion. I mean, the Texans could certainly go on a run here. I'm at the point now where I'm done, like, putting limitations on what the Texans are capable of. Because everything they're doing right now is just shattering what anyone in the league thought uh, that they would be capable of. Just with the way they're playing, uh, how well coached they've been. And then, of course, C.J., how he's been so good so early? Um, I, I'm I'm done putting a cap on this team. Like like th- this is a, a legitimate AFC like playoff contender. So,
2: and I agree with you. I know we, you can get in trouble the minute you start trying to predict the schedule is when you get in trouble. So maybe I'll regret this, but I've got it right in front of me, man. You're right. Over like the rest of the way, they've only got three games against teams that are at or above 500. It's, mm-hmm. it's Jacksonville, it's the Jets, it's the Cleveland Browns, and then a whole lot of manageable opponents. Obviously, it's still the NFL, like I said. We, we're not going to sit here and assume they're going to win out, but it's all right there in front of them, which is just not something I thought we'd be saying about the Texans in C.J. Stroud's rookie year.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's really crazy, uh, Dave, and, and I think really encouraging, in particular coming out of this Bengals game, is – the run game right and and i know i've been on the 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 two times you've had me on prior to this we i've kind of mentioned how i've uh been a little more cautious about this team uh just because they haven't been consistently able to run the ball and like when cj isn't able to have it going on like what are they going to be able to lean on uh but with devin singletary rushing for 150 yards uh it was the most by uh a Texans tailback since week nine of last season, Uh, obviously just one game. But if this run game can start getting going and we know how much of a threat that CJ Stroud is with these playmakers they have on the outside. I mean, this, this is a team that you have to be kind of excited about, like in terms of what their potential is uh, going down the stretch of this season.
2: One last one for you and it is kind of about what you're talking about. I'm curious about the leadership of this team. I know, I mean, they've got some veterans. Obviously, Devin Singletary's been on some good teams over the course of his career. Dalton Schultz is another guy that comes to mind, the playoff teams he's been on in Dallas. But this is a a young team, and obviously the face of the franchise is a rookie. CJ Stroud, but also the team in general, and with a first-year head coach in D'Amico Ryans as well, how do you see them handling... This ever-growing spotlight and and these ever-growing expectations that we're putting on them.
1: Yeah, I, I think they're learning on the fly, but I think as we've seen in, in what is now a five and four start to twenty twenty three for them is l- like they have people in place who are rising to the occasion that are maybe natural born leaders. Uh, starts with D'Amico, Rhines, of course, but C.J. Stroud the command of the offense he's taken uh, and, and Dalton Schultz and Noah Brown have, have talked at length about this, how he doesn't carry himself. CJ doesn't carry himself like a rookie quarterback. He, he carries himself like a guy who's been around six, seven, eight years. He He's telling guys in real time to make adjustments to their routes and, and, and they're doing stuff that they honestly, that they haven't even repped in games. Like, like they've talked about this as well. And, and Bobby Slovic, their first year uh, offensive coordinator is empowering CJ to do these things. Uh, And and so, but, but also goes to Bobby Slovic too, what, what he's doing, just having that kind of trust as a first year offensive coordinator in your rookie quarterback. So I, I think, in terms of leadership, I mean, it's D'Amico Ryans, it's C.J. Stroud, it's Bobby Slovic. Uh, they have a lot of young talent on this team, but a, a lot of those guys have taken on uh, leadership roles and and they're learning on the fly. But but I, I think that there is there are a number of guys on this team that just have that leadership it factor. I, I mean, C.J. is a captain, but also Will Anderson, the number three overall pick in the draft, is a captain on the team as well a lot of young leadership on this team. Uh, that's that's just kind of coming into their own uh, right in front of our eyes.
2: Absolutely. The the vibe, I mean, whatever happens from here, I don't, the vibes are just amazing in Houston. And it's uh, it's such a cool story. Ben, always fun having you on. And like I said, I'm just going to reserve a spot here next week for yeah. you after the next CJ Stroud milestone. We'll talk to you then. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs>
1: Sounds good, Dave. Appreciate you having me.
2: The vibes might be good in Houston, but off to the east in Jacksonville, maybe not so much. Another big game in the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars had a big opportunity against the San Francisco 49ers and 34-3. The 49ers officially back, traveling out east and getting a big win to break their three-game losing streak. I'm joined now by the guys who called it, Joe Davis and Daryl Johnston. Guys, I heard y'all talking about this at the end of the game. The thing that stands out for me in this 49ers win is their pass rush. Felt like those guys led the way. Five sacks on the games, their most this season. Was that the key for this 49ers defense, figuring out his problem, was just figuring out a way to get after the quarterback?
0: It, it looked to me, Daryl, today like what you would think the pass rush would look like all along. You've obviously had to chase young to it, but they were monsters today.
5: They really were. And, and how about Kyle Shanahan sharing? It's it's the defensive performance that impacts the way I call the game offensively. It is really kind of that thing. We talk about complementary football, but that's a huge part of it. If I know that my coverage is is holding the quarterback, forcing the quarterback to hold the ball, mm. then my guys can get home. You're only rushing four. You're dropping seven. But I thought Steve Wilkes did a really good job today. There were some new wrinkles out there. We saw a little bit of five-man front. We saw Nick Bosa and Chase Young in the A-gaps on each side of the center. So some things that that were very different today, and I think it gave Jacksonville a lot of problems.
2: I think you're right. I mean, how, how can you not feed off of that type of performance on the defensive side of the ball? But over on the offense, is it as <laughs> – is it as easy as saying that getting guys as talented as Trent Williams and Debo Samuel back in the lineup can make a heck of a lot of difference?
0: I mean, is that oversimplifying, or today's pretty good evidence that it could be
5: that simple? I think it is. Um, <laughs> injuries are a part of the game, but when they happen to keep people, you have to look at that and see what that impact is. Just look at the numbers in the rushing game, and that's where Kyle wants to start everything. Trent Williams, not there as your left tackle. Debo Samuel, not there as your kind of your changeup. And then Christian McCaffrey, you know, he's out there. He's grinding through an oblique injury. But your three key components just aren't playing as well as they're supposed to play. So that that to me, yeah, it's injuries. They're a part of the game, but they're also part of the reason why you're struggling at that time. So I think it always needs to be kind of that 10,000-foot look. And when you have injuries on a team like San Francisco, I think it is. I think we overreacted. I think we overreacted to the interceptions by Brock Purdy as well well so this is an offense that that has been very very effective with everybody on the field and really it was the defensive side of the ball yeah. that needed the fixes during the course of the bye week and they got that done
2: I think you're absolutely right Moose I mean it, it's easy to get lost in the ebbs and flows of the season but you take a week off and the Niners are back to looking as dominant as ever guys as usual I appreciate the time thank you so much I feel like over the course of the 49ers losing streak, there was a lot of pushback on the idea that they were hurt. You know, people say this happens to every team in the NFL. Everybody's dealing with injuries. It's it's not an excuse that Trent Williams and Debo Samuel aren't playing. Something else has to be wrong. Well, when that's the end result with everybody healthy, maybe it is that simple. I, I thought Moose Johnston made that point incredibly well. Sure. Maybe it's not ideal, and maybe you do have to worry about the Niners dealing with injuries. This is a veteran team. A lot of these guys have dealt with injuries at various points over the course of their career. But when everybody's healthy and the whole thing's humming, I don't don't think it's a coincidence that you get the best left tackle in football back and one of the best all-around weapons in Debo Samuel back, and you go right back to clicking. 400 yards of offense, 34 points. Everybody gets involved. Brock Purdy has that one extra weapon on top of having that extra half second or longer to extend plays and look downfield. I think that stuff matters. I think it's just as easy as saying, yeah, two of their best players were out. This is what they can look like. It is a conversation worth having that they might have to learn how to pivot over the course of the season. They're going to deal with injury again. But this is why I was never worried about the 49ers. Did I see them beating the Jags by 30 points? No. No. But I thought with a full arsenal of of weapons available to them with all of their guys on the field, I still think they're one of the best two or three teams in the NFL, if not the best team. The thing for me here is the defense because, yeah, they've had guys in and out, but largely the defense has been healthy. And that was what was so strange about, about their dip over these three weeks before this game. And they just come out and they looked like their unit of old. Is it because Steve Wilkes moved from the booth down to the field to call the defense? Maybe. Is it because Chase Young gave them that one extra pass rusher to make the matchups more favorable on everyone? I'm sure that had something to do with it. But again, maybe it's just as simple as having a week to self scout, readjust, catch your breath, get a little bit healthier, allow some of those bruises to heal, and go out and do your thing. Like, I think this potential was always within the Niners, even if they did lose three straight games. And it was nice to see them come out and flex that muscle. Debo picks up where he left off. Five sacks. We talked about it with Joe and Moose. Four takeaways for the Niners defense. I have a feeling I'm always a little cynical about those changes from booth to field. But regardless of how I feel about it, I doubt Steve Wilkes will be going back to the booth anytime soon after they do this to the Jaguars. Big opportunity missed for Jacksonville, I would say. They're still on top of the AFC South. They haven't seeded the division to Houston yet. I think it probably, it sounded a little bit like that when I was talking to Ben about the Texans. It's hard not to get excited about Houston. I'm sorry, Jacksonville fans. What do you want me to say? It's I, You're still in a perfectly good spot. You're still on top of the division. You still have a chance to even the season series against Houston in a couple of weeks, but like Ben alluded to as well. I mean, there's some tough-looking games coming up on this schedule, whether it's the Houston rematch, whether it's Cincinnati, Cleveland, Baltimore, all coming up here over the next month or so. Just a disappointing effort. The defense, not so much. Again, this is one of the toughest, most versatile offenses in the NFL. I would imagine the Jags would have needed to score 24 to 27 points to even have a shot to win this game. Turns out even more potentially but it doesn't matter when you don't get into the end zone all day i think it's it it's maybe not a fair barometer because the niners are so good even though remember three straight teams prior to this had plenty of success finding the end zone against them but we can officially scratch our heads and say what the hell about this jacksonville offense is it all because of their offensive line. I know Trevor Lawrence got sacked five times in this game. I know they didn't have a semblance of a run game, but the expectations were so much higher for the Jags offense. And usually it's just been kind of up and down, just outright lost today with the exception of a few nice throws to Christian Kirk. I'll be the first to admit I had Calvin Ridley putting up like an all pro caliber season this year, and it has just rarely been the case two two catches for 20 yards. They just don't seem to have that, that second or third guy that can make defenses honor what they want to do. And, and it clearly is a problem against the best teams that they play. Even if you go back during the season, I mean, they didn't score a touchdown against Kansas City either. They did beat the Bills. They put up a lot of yards. You would imagine for the performance they had against the Bills that day, they still would have managed to score more points. It's been a lot more painful than I would have expected for an offense that was getting as much hype as it was heading into the season. It's not the end of the world. It's just, it's, you know, it's happened a few times this year. You come up against the measuring stick opportunity and the Jags were found well short of that. The 49ers really and truly back. You get a 30-point road win against the division leader. Yeah, we will give you your flowers. I would just like to point out one more time, I was never worried. I promise you this, I was definitely not worried about the Dallas Cowboys in week 10. Niners won big in a game that was supposed to be a test. The test for Dallas was going to be to win big. You're favored by 16 and a half points. You're going against an undrafted rookie quarterback. The Cowboys were always going to beat the Giants. It's just a matter of how convincingly do they do it. 49 17 is pretty convincing. Greg Olson, Kevin Burkhart, y'all had the call. What did you see? In this incredibly dominant performance in Dallas,
3: Dave, thanks so much. So I, I guess no hangover for the Cowboys from the loss to Philly, huh? Nope. I think uh, I think
1: <laughs> they handled the night out partying pretty good. So I think, uh, listen, I mean, this this these performances the last couple weeks, especially by Dak Prescott and this Dallas offense, has been pretty 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 spectacular. Yeah. I think if they can continue to play this way, continue to bring this production that they get at home, and continue to bring it also on the road. This is a group that I think by the end, I think the NFC East picture coming down to, to Dallas and Philly is going to be one of the best races in the entire league. Yeah, it's
3: pretty good right now coming off that game last week. Dallas at 640 yards. They look great in everything. On the Carolina next week. Giants just 2-8 and eight now. I'm
2: not sure we need to overreact too much to what the Cowboys did to the Giants. After all, at the end of the day, I think it's just doing what they were supposed to do. This was the first step in a three-step plan. You handle the New York Giants at home. You go on the road and beat a one-win Carolina team next week, and then you take care of business on Thanksgiving against a Washington team that is now two games under 500. It's all there for you. The Cowboys can be right in the thick of the NFC East race a few weeks from now if they continue to look like this. Granted, it's not always going to be as easy as it is against a completely depleted Giants team. I thought Greg and KB made the point for me on the broadcast what happened here almost has nothing to do with Tommy DeVito and how he played. I mean, that's how overmatched this team was. I think the Cowboys could have spotted the Giants 17 literal points, and I still would have liked their odds to come back in this game. Clearly, they went 49 to 17. I guess if I'm looking for positives, it's just that the passing offense Continues to hit its stride. 400 yards from Dak Prescott is nothing to sneeze at, regardless of who they're playing. And and, and the guys that he managed to get involved, of course, C.D. Lamb's going to have a big day. He's been going nuclear for the last month. First guy with three straight games of 10-plus receptions and 150-plus yards in NFL history. Four straight 100-yard games. You knew that was going to happen. But getting Brandon Cooks involved, nine catches for 173 and a touchdown Averaged 19 yards per reception. I do think that's important because it hints at a larger, more dynamic role for Brandon Cooks. That's something I've been complaining about in regard to the Cowboys basically all season. Brandon Cooks pretty much matched his tally for the year in one week. That's how underutilized he had been. I don't think it's always going to look that amazing. But knowing that he's there, knowing that he can still stretch the field, I think that matters for the offense. I think that matters for opponents that are going to scout the Cowboys coming up this season. Same thing goes for Michael Gallup. Not not the craziest stat line you're ever going to see. Two catches for 70 yards and a touchdown, but one of them was a long 41-yard scoring play, managed to go up over the defender, looked like the vintage Michael Gallup that the Cowboys gave $57 million to a couple years ago. Even if that's not an every week thing, knowing he can still offer that contested catch, deep play ability, it does a lot for this offense. It gives you one more thing that you have to respect. Like I said, I don't think this should change your opinion of the Dallas Cowboys. Other than that, they managed to take care of business against a seriously overmatched team. I'm curious to see where the Giants go from here. And I'll say it again, it's not a knock on Tommy DeVito. I thought he played pretty admirably in a hopeless situation. Guy was pressured all day, hit a million times, didn't have time to throw. Guy's all over him from the jump. But this is what it's going to look like for the Giants against most teams, I think, the rest of the way. I mean, there's some there's some winnable-looking games on the schedule coming up. They've got Washington. They have a woeful New England team in a couple weeks. They get Green Bay. There's some winnable games here, but this is a team that now firmly looks like they're in contention for a top three-ish draft pick, and I wonder... Do you continue to look at DeVito? Obviously, we know Daniel Jones isn't coming back. Does Matt Barkley play a role in all of this? Or is it better to just continue to evaluate the undrafted rookie no matter how ugly it gets? Clearly, it can get pretty ugly. Not every team is going to hum the way the Cowboys do at home. But it's going to be interesting to see how they ride that line between evaluating a young guy and a young guy who's in a hopeless situation who is either going to get hurt or or just get battered to the point that it's not productive anymore. So that's something to watch for a Giants team that's I mean their their season had slipped away a long time ago, but each week seems to further emphasize that already just one more loss away from a losing season and there's still half a season left to play. Cowboys, like I said, it's just one of 3 steps Got to go on the road and do the same thing against the Carolina Panthers. Maybe it doesn't have to be 49-17. Maybe you don't have to put up 600 yards of offense. I don't think even against the worst teams in the league, you're going to do that on a regular basis. But if you want to have a shot at the NFC East, if you want to be in contention to host a playoff game rather than being a wild card, you got to handle business over these next few weeks. This was just one step, but a very positive step. Getting
0: ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers, to string trimmers and more, right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS-56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS-56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
2: Let's continue the Sunday 6 with our Week 10 Coaching Spotlight. Every week we highlight a performance or a decision that highlights fantastic coaching. Today's Coaching Spotlight is brought to you by Verizon, the official private wireless network of the NFL's Coach-to-Coach Communications. And we need to talk about MCDC Motor City Dan Campbell, Man Campbell, whatever you want to call him. All I know is the guy's got a serious set of stones. Smart enough to recognize the flow of a game and having the guts, the gumption, the moxie to know what it takes to get the win. Setting up some context for you just so you know. If you're not aware Aggression is Dan Campbell's middle name. The Detroit Lions have gone for it on fourth down 22 times this season. It's tied for the most in the NFL. If you're not aware, of course you are. The strength of the Detroit Lions is their offense. Jared Goff is having a phenomenal season. Offensive coordinator Ben Johnson is going to be a name on every shortlist for every coaching vacancy in the NFL. High powered offense, not afraid to go for points. Dan Campbell's not afraid to empower them. To do that by keeping them on the field exemplified in this 41 to 38 win against the LA chargers right here in LA. Dan Campbell knew that conservative decision-making wasn't going to cut it. The chargers and the lions combined for 954 yards of offense, 10 touchdowns, 79 points. What part of that says punt and play the field position game or rely on your defense to get things done? no, Dan Campbell elected to go for it on fourth down five times against the Chargers. He converted on four of them. One of them directly led to a Lions touchdown. So we already know you're contributing to the winning effort by deciding to do these things. But I want to focus on the very last one because it won the Lions the game. And it was also one of the smarter, ballsier calls that I've seen in the NFL this so far this season. So just to set this up. Lions get the ball back in a 38-38 tie game with three and a half minutes to play. They drive the ball to the Chargers' 26-yard line, where they face a fourth and two. Fourth and two from the 26. It's a 43-yard field goal. Every kicker in the league should be able to make that in his sleep. Conventional wisdom says you kick the field goal with a minute 40 seconds to play. You ask your defense to to play deep to, to do its job, to hold the fort and keep The win preserved Riley Patterson was one for one on the day. He hit four field goals of 30 plus yards in their last game against Las Vegas. A couple weeks ago, you kick the field goal. You hope your defense can hang on for dear life, but not man Campbell because he was smart enough to talk to the people up in the booth, to talk to the people on his staff in his ear, recognize the LA chargers had not punted in this game since the second quarter and they had scored touchdowns on five straight possessions. Dan Campbell was well aware if he kicked the field goal, there's a phenomenal chance he's either going to be watching a Chargers field goal attempt to tie the game or, God forbid, a walk-off loss because, you know, Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen are pretty damn good at this football thing too. So what does he do? Minute 40 to play, field goal well within range. He decides to go for it anyway. It's going to be a talking point if he doesn't get it. He's going to get roasted. He doesn't give a damn. The offense is what this team does best. Jared Goff finds Sam Laporta for six yards, and the rest is history. The Lions kneel the clock down to one more play. They drill a field goal from the 20-yard line. Piece of cake. Just because it's easy and defensible doesn't make it the right call. The right call is the one that gives you the best chance to win. And against a Chargers offense that the Lions hadn't had a prayer of stopping for most of the afternoon, Dan Campbell knew a little bravery was going to go a long way. And because of it, the Detroit Lions are 7-2, and two, looking like a real-deal threat. I mean, the playoffs, obviously, but even a threat to be the top seed in the NFC. Yes, I said it. The Lions keep backing me up on the field, and Dan Campbell is due A whole hell of a lot of credit for that. Last but certainly not least on the Sunday 6, we've got to talk about some teams and some quarterbacks that are making the best of some poor situations. Three different teams in the NFL started their third quarterback in as many weeks in Week 10. So three games, three different quarterbacks, all getting the start. It was the New York Giants, the Minnesota Vikings, the Arizona Cardinals, Unfortunately for the Giants, I'm sorry, Tommy DeVito, we talked about the Giants earlier in the show. I don't have a whole lot of uplifting stuff to say there, but talk about the stories in these other two NFL cities. Let's let's first of all, start where we need to. Maybe the best thing I heard on Sunday was the nickname for the Vikings' new starting quarterback that is going around, and that is the Pastronaut. Remember, Josh Dobbs an aerospace engineer during his time at the University of Tennessee. Get it? He's a he's a pastronaut. I, look, I don't have kids. I'm a lame dad at heart. I think it's awesome. The only thing I think is more awesome is what Josh Dobbs continues to do. The Minnesota Vikings take down the New Orleans Saints at home on Sunday. Josh Dobbs, in his second game with the Vikings, gets another win. 312 all-purpose yards. Rushed for 44. As long, you know, as long as I'm patting myself on the back for saying smart things before the weekend, nice day on the ground, nice day through the air, just all around. This guy continues to impress such a fun story. The Vikings go up big on the saints, hold off a late rally from Jameis Winston, late 27 to 19. They're two wins ahead of everybody else in the NFC wildcard hunt. And remember where that all started. 0-3 to start the season. They lose Kirk Cousins. Josh Dobbs getting traded feels like an afterthought. And now I would say, yeah, I would say it feels likely that the Minnesota Vikings are a wild card team. But I always like to have people check me on these sorts of predictions. Adam Amin, Mark Schlereth, y'all had the call in Minneapolis on Sunday. Do you think Josh Dobbs can lead the Vikings to the playoffs? Dave, it's a fair question,
3: right? Because picking up where Kirk Cousins left off, Josh Dobbs comes in, gets the win off the bench in Atlanta. He gets a victory today in his first start. And suddenly, the longest NFC win streak currently going is five games now for Minnesota. They're creeping up on the Detroit Lions, and this offense, especially in the first half, looked
6: fabulous today. Yeah, and there's no question. I mean, you think about where he's at right now. He's only going to get more advanced in the offense, and then you're going to get Justin Jefferson back. He's going to come back. Uh, K.J. Osborne's going to come back. The connection he has with T.J. Hawkinson. This is a guy right now that's surrounded with a really good football team that as long as he manages the game well, he can lead this team back into playoff
3: contention and into the playoffs. So suddenly they're 6-4. and four. We showed the schedule during the broadcast, Dave, and it did look like some of these games that are coming up, Denver, Chicago, a bye week, then you get Las Vegas. These are very winnable games for the Vikings, especially with some of the guys coming back.
6: Yeah, the guys on offense coming back, and let's not forget this defense, aggressive. They are really playing well. They are really honed in together, and uh, and they are creating opportunities to get more possessions for the offense. So good things going on in Minnesota right now. Yeah,
3: they got Daniil Hunter, who leads the NFL in sacks, had one today, now has 11 on the year, a couple of interceptions at the end of the game from Byron Murphy and Makai Blackman. So some really positive things. So it's not just Josh Dobbs, Dave. It is the rest of this Minnesota team. But Dobbs at the controls so far has looked very sharp. The Vikings have now won five
2: straight games. I have a feeling Josh Dobbs' current employer is very, very happy with the decision to trade for him a couple weeks ago. Let's also check in on his old employer. One of these teams that started three quarterbacks in the last three weeks is the Arizona Cardinals. They started Josh Dobbs. Then they dealt him to Minnesota. Clayton Toon gets shut out in Cleveland, and that paves the way for the return of Kyler Murray. And look, I don't want to go overboard. I'm sure Kyler Murray would tell you there's a lot he can improve on. It's his first game back from an ACL tear through a costly interception in his own territory in the win against Atlanta. But it was so fun to see the guy back on a football field. And if you had any doubt, that Kyler Murray was still himself. Look, ACL tears, soft tissue tears are difficult to recover from. We see this all the time. It hasn't been a calendar year since Kyler suffered this injury, and yet, if I had any doubt that he's still capable of being one of the most electric playmakers, look no further than third and 10 in the final moments of this game against Atlanta needs a play He sprints left against the Atlanta pass rush, nearly gets sacked, backpedals out of it, breaks to the right side, and sprints 13 yards to pick up the first down. Two plays later, he hits a long bomb to tight end Trey McBride. That sets up the easy walk-off field goal. I'm not saying all is perfect. And look, the Cardinals are still well below 500. It's going to be interesting to see where they go from here you continue to evaluate Kyler Murray is his long-term future in Arizona. What about your draft prospects for that matter? If Kyler Murray is good enough to win you ball games, does it take you out of the running for a top five pick? We'll, We'll get to all of that, but it's just exciting to see the guy look like who we remember him as 249 passing yards, no passing touchdowns. And like I said, the interception, but 33 big rushing yards. And that's the fun thing about Kyler Murray is, he can pick up 13 yards and a do so much more running than that. And B it always comes in the most crucial situations other than Lamar Jackson. I don't know if there's a guy who's more terrifying in a must have scenario because he, he can extend the play for basically as long as he wants to. So. He can beat you with his arm and his legs. James Connor also comes back 73 yards. Ironically, Unfortunately, injury forced the Falcons to do some shuffling in this game as well. Desmond Ritter comes back after Taylor Heineke gets banged up. But Kyler Murray, for one week at least, he's back. He looks like a dynamic guy. I'm fascinated by the subplot to see. You know, I honestly have no clue. Like, it seems crazy to think the Cardinals would pass on an opportunity to draft a younger, cheaper replacement. What does that mean for Kyler. Or is Kyler good enough to play them out of these circumstances in the first place? One week back and one win for Arizona. Maybe it's not much the way this season has started, but I think it's a heck of a starting point. Before we wrap this thing up, we do have a special episode of Ask Glazer for you this week. Jay usually joins me in studio. Couldn't do that this week because the guys were in Colorado Springs for their annual Veterans Day episode. Ton of fun talked about skydiving, talked about a ton else. Check it out. Very special edition of Ask Glazer this week, a remote edition. Jay, you are out in Colorado Springs for the Veterans Day episode. I mean, for starters, how, how was the show this And It looked like a blast.
6: Oh, it was incredible. Listen, every year I've been at Fox on Veterans Day or Thanksgiving. They send the whole crew or myself and, you know, Pearl Harbor uh, anniversaries to a military installation. It's just it's a, it's the best show we do. It's you know I know that wherever we go they look like oh you know we're, they're so grateful that we're here but we're so grateful to be around them. This is not cliche like it's it's just it's the greatest thing we do every every year. It's incredible. And this show, listen, we had Gromp jumping out of a plane, and um, that was a little different. That we were a little ner- you know we were a little nervous for him. But the coolest thing, man, I got to uh, fly in a glider. I'm horrified to fly. And so it's an engineless plane and I flew in a glider and did three loops. Not one, not two, three loops upside down, man. So it was, it was awesome. Round of
2: applause. Really cool. so, I mean, did, do you feel any better about it after doing it? Like, did you like face your fears?
6: Yes, that's exactly why I did it too. And you know, when at first Bill Richards our producer first came and they're telling us different activities, he's like, you're going to do the glider an engineless plane. The like, guy was horrified to, to, to fly. I'm like, Oh, thanks a lot, Bill. Well, b- Meanwhile, Bill set me up a couple of years ago at West Point. We went to uh, you know, Army. I had to box the, uh, I think, 190-pound national champion. So thanks a lot for that too, Bill. Uh, but this one right here, I was. The moment I, I went there, and I am, I've am i been horrified to fly for a while, and I kind of just shifted to a little mode, and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to face it. And I went up there and did this loop. And the way to do the loop is, again, you're just gliding. They dip down to get enough like air under you and then shoot come all the way back and you got four g's and once we did the first one uh the pilot said you want to do another one and i said nah. <laughs> okay let's go and then he said as we started making our descent he said you got one more on here because this is as low as we can get if you want to do one more loop and i said how often do you do one more loop he said probably once a month so in my mind a lot of people don't do it so i'm like I'm in. So we did a third loop and man, I, I had a hard time sleeping sleep last night. I was so jazzed up. It was incredible.
2: I can imagine my stomach going I up into I my have. throat yeah, from here. Wow. That's
6: okay. You so know, I know that in the show here said I was crazy, which that's clearly not why I'm crazy, but I, I'll take that also. All
2: right. You you <laughs> took, you took the words right out of our viewers mouths. Obviously Gronk jumped out of a plane. I, I mean, yeah, I can imagine you're a little bit nervous about that. How did that go? and And what did Gronk say to you guys after he got down?
6: I actually drove over with Gronk on the way here, and I was like, you nervous? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I wasn't, but now it's starting to get to me a little bit, and just when I'm up there and I'm like, hey dude, just put, I, I, I kind of right, go into my little motivational mode, and I'm like, hey Gronk, when you're up there, only think about how great you're gonna feel after you accomplish this, nothing else. Just put that in your mind, how great you're gonna feel. And man, he came down, you saw him spike it over here, and again, I talked about my adrenaline. He had 10 times the adrenaline that I had. This is going to take him. I don't know if he's probably not going to sleep for three days.
2: Yeah, I, I could imagine. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. couple football questions for you before we get you out of here. Number one, another big win for the Minnesota Vikings, and they're still doing it without Justin Jefferson. Question is any idea on the timeline for him, how things look for him moving forward?
6: Even though they activated him, they want to make sure his hamstring is, I think, 100%. So I, I don't think it's going to happen this week. Obviously, it didn't happen this week. I don't think it's going to happen next week. Probably you're looking at the week after that. But, hey, let's even, let's take a second here to talk about the job Kevin O'Connell's done. Unreal, right? How much they've reeled off here without having Justin Jefferson, without having their starting quarterback, without having a quarterback where nobody knew him last week before the game. Unreal. Kevin O'Connell's doing a phenomenal job there. I
2: mean, think about the fact that everything that's happened to the Vikings. You're sitting there saying, "Well, no need to rush Justin back because we're in a good enough situation that we can afford it." Yeah, I mean, I if
6: he's not getting, you don't want to to rush him back now. I mean, they're a playoff team. Absolutely, you don't want to get hurt. You don't want to. You don't aggravate it and make you. You definitely because it was a severe hamstring injury. So you want to. You don't want to make sure it has any sort of re-injury.
2: If he's if if Kevin O'Connell's not in coach of the year conversations right now, he he damn well should be. All right, I got one more from you from you for you from Matt. Another injury question. Obviously, the Rams taking a week off, but he wants to know about Matthew Stafford's availability coming out of their bye week.
6: You know what? Here's the thing. They dodged a bullet with Stafford because when it first happened it was against Cowboys and they thought he was done. In fact, I think Cowboy people well, I know Cowboy people were telling me that they even went over to him like, oh, man, we're so sorry about that. And I think they, they thought he totally tore his UCL, uh, which I believe he's done in the past. And when the scans came back, that wasn't the case. It was a sprain. So I, I think it's a matter. I can't tell if he's going to play next week because I don't know where he is as far as gripping the football. Because he's got to be able to make sure he can grip it, rip it. Um, but certainly not done for the year or, you know, their worst fears did not come true there.
2: So interesting situation to monitor with Carson Wentz in LA now as well. Jay looked like a blast, man. I'm glad y'all have fun. I'll uh, I look forward to seeing
6: you next week. All right, I appreciate you, man. Thanks, bud. We appreciate miss you.
2: you. That does it for another Sunday show. A jam packed week ten. A jam packed episode. Don't you worry. We'll be back with plenty on Tuesday. Still got one more game in week ten. The Buffalo Bills hosting the Denver Broncos on Monday Night Football. We will get into all of that. We've got our weekly power rankings. Plenty of news and notes to catch you up on as well. We will see you all then. Until then, you know the drill. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get your NFL news, please go find us there. We appreciate it. I will catch you all next time.